Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. There's a phrase from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians in our reading this morning that caught my attention. He tells the Ephesians to redeem the time because the days are evil. The days are evil. It's hard to imagine something written 2,000 years ago that could sound more contemporary, isn't it, than for us today. We are likely in the beginning of the throes of a collapse of a civilization But, you know, it's happened before. It'll keep happening if Jesus tarries. I don't know if there's any comfort to us right now, but... Feeling our contemporary demise quite acutely, some of us, we may, when we read this, miss the obvious, and that was that St. Paul was also in the days of evil. And that was a long time ago, with much historical and social water under the bridge between him and us. So we can at least take some assurance that we have no corner on evil days. Mankind's been living in days which are evil for a very long time. There are good times and bad times, but the evil days that St. Paul's talking about here will persist until hell inhales the remnants of death and all the demons which still roam about on their leashes. So there will be evil days until the parousia. At least that's what Paul's referring to. So what do we do? How shall we live? Well, I guess some people say, well, it's evil days we're in. Guess we'll just have to hold out and we can escape through the trap door of death. Then we'll be free. But is that as good as it gets in this life? Is that it? Is that all Christ has promised us on this side? of the resurrection? No. He promised us peace. He promised us peace, not just in the by and by, but in the here and now, in the midst of this troubled world. He promised us peace. We were also promised that we would rule in the midst of our enemies. He set a table for us in the midst of our enemies. He promised that the light would overcome the darkness. What is stronger, darkness or light? The light is stronger. Now, St. Paul, in this passage, he lays out a plan, not just for the Ephesians, it's a universal plan for all of us. And every generation, if we look back through history, every generation of Christian who has been successful in their own evil day has basically followed Paul's program. And so it's imperative that we, too, do the same in our evil day. Uh, Before we get into his program... In the spirit of encouraging you to pay attention to all the various parts of the Mass, I just want to mention that the offertory this morning is a direct reference to the evil days Paul is referring to. You might miss it, because it's a little 
enigmatic if you're not familiar with this motif in the scriptures. It says, the offertory says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept right sore when we remembered thee, O Zion. That's a reference to these evil days. In the scriptures, um, clearly, again and again, Israel's captivity in Babylon stands for the mortal life in this flesh. That's what it stands for. Seventy years. Seventy years in captivity. Seventy years the span of a man's life. Well, you might get ten more, but the psalmist says, yeah, but even if you get the ten more, you're going to be miserable just for ten more years. So, it's a trade-off. But anyway, 70 years in Babylon, 70 years of immortal life. This really is, and they dreamed of Jerusalem. They dreamed of the heavenly city. And this is a parallel in the scriptures, clearly, clearly, for this mortal life that we live in this world, awaiting the heavenly Jerusalem, which is currently coming down out of heaven, but which will finally come down out of heaven on that last day. So the, our, our offertory this morning is a direct reference to Paul's admonishment in the epistle. The days are evil. So Paul tells us, what must we do? He tells us what we must do, very clearly. He says, redeem the time. That's the answer. The days are evil, okay. We all know that. Redeem the time. That's the answer. The word St. Paul uses here for redeem, it's the same exact word, that he uses elsewhere to say, speak of Christ's uh, redeeming us from the curse, redeeming us from the law. It's also translated sometimes as ransom. Christ has ransomed us or redeemed us from the curse. The idea communicated by this word is that someone has been taken captive and enslaved by marauders, and someone else comes along who is the redeemer and purchases their freedom. They buy them back with a payment. They ransom them, or they redeem them. Okay, and so this is one of the prominent motifs used to describe what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. St. Paul is using this redemption ransom motif to tell us what we are to do. We're the redeemers now, and the thing being redeemed is not a person, but it's time. We are to redeem time. Like Christ redeemed us, that's the motif, in the midst of these evil days. Time. It's a part of creation. It's a good part of God's creation. But it's been infected with the primal disease, just like everything else. Time. You think about time. And your relationship to time. It's the ambience of your very existence. It's the condition of our being. It's the context in which we live and move. And we are caught, we are caught in its flow. And it moves swiftly. Those of you who are my age or older, just you know how swiftly it moves. <laughs> in any event, this river of time moving ever so swiftly in which we are trapped and caught carries us straight to the grave. That's where it takes every single one of us. And this time, this part of God's creation, has been tainted with evil, just like everything else. The days are evil. Time has been tainted. The whole of this mortal life is permeated by the power of death, in the words of St. Paul. And we must, according to St. Paul, buy back 
ransom and redeem time from the marauder death. I'll just say, you know, Christ, our Redeemer, has already redeemed us from the power of death. It's done. But now it's up to us to redeem time in our life from death. So the power of corrupted time, we all know it quite well. I think we're all well acquainted with this, our very mixed relationship to time. But the good news is, and that sounds all a little depressing except for the good news, which is also obvious. I love pointing out obvious things that might not occur to us. The obvious thing in this passage is there's a greater power than the power of death and the power of corrupted disease time. And that's what Paul is pointing us to in this passage. The power that perhaps we are not quite so familiar with because so often we lack faith and we're just too tired to obey. But the greater power is the power that God has given to us and that is the power to redeem time. God has given us the power to redeem time. We can, in Christ, turn back the clock. That's pretty awesome. We are, we are powerful people. God has made us time shifters. You know, what's his name? Who was flying in that DeLorean? Back to the Michael Fox has nothing on us. We are time shifters. Jesus said you can move mountains. We can move mountains. And not just can we move mountains, maybe even bigger than that. We can reroute the river of diseased time which in which we drift and flow in and out of shale. It's rather all simple, actually, how to do it. <laughs> Paul puts it, it's very simplistic, actually. Very simplistic. Too simple for us to take seriously, that's the problem. Did you ever notice that? Something so simple and straightforward, we're like, that can't really work. It must be more complicated than that. We need something complex to believe in. That's too part of our disease. The inability or maybe refusal to act on simple, simple information which would bring radical transformation in our lives. I don't want to offend anybody. I put myself in with this uh, same group. But my philosophy, one of my philosophies, is that we are all basically dumb. Um, I usually don't use such a nice word as dumb. Um, but there are mothers here who probably tell their children not to say stupid. Um, so I'm not going to use that word. And I'm certainly mothers tell their children not to call people morons, which is actually my favorite word. But I'm not going to say that either. But basically, that's what we are most of the time. We know the right thing, and yet we perpetually make bad decisions, suffer the consequences, feign confusion for our miserable condition, and then look for somebody to blame. How many here do that on a regular basis? I, I can raise both hands. Well, stop it. Um, okay. um, let's not do that. Let's redeem time and follow St. Paul's admonition. He says in verse 15, as he tells you how to redeem time, so we're on to how to redeem the time. We know that's what we need to do, and this is how you do it. It says very simply, actually this whole chapter, if you go home today, your homework would be to read the whole chapter because it's all about this basic subject. He says, therefore, consider carefully how you live. That's it. 
<laughs> we're done. <laughs> like, if you would just do that, if I would just do that, there would be magic in our lives. There would be magic. I can tell you this authoritatively, because as your pastor and somebody who hears confessions and goes to confession, I see it every single day. Every single day. Consider carefully how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Redeem the time. He says immediately after he says that, he says, redeem the time, for the days are evil. Consider carefully how you live. If we make wise decisions and we change our behavior and we align it with God's will and wisdom and holiness, we can, by that power, because it's already been done, it's already been done. I, I say this a lot, and it, it sounds a little harsh, but we need to hear it. I need to hear it. I'm speaking to myself as much as you, but there, there is nobody coming. There's no Calvary. Nobody's coming to save you, to rescue you. Nobody's coming. You know why? Because he already came. <laughs> he already came. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray and he comes in and helps you out with the problem in your life. I'm talking about kind of big picture stuff here. He already came. He already did that. What else do you want him to do? He's already done that. He's already rescued you from the power of death. He's already made you a new creature. He's already given you a divine nature. You are deified to some extent. He's given you everything. We're all the elder brother. You know, we're all the elder brother. The kingdom is yours. Everything I have is yours. The entire kingdom is yours. The only thing that's missing is, is, is a good attitude <laughs> from us. That's what's missing, like the elder brother. What's missing is faith and a good attitude. He can't give us anything more. He redeemed us. Now he says, you redeem your time. I can't redeem your time for you, God says to you. He can't. If he did, he would be effectively destroying your humanity. So that part you have to do. So he's done it all. Um, if we will cooperate with all of that by faith and making good decisions about how we live, we can reroute this river, this river to hell, turn it back to heaven, this very aura of our life, of our daily, weekly, yearly existential life. We can reroute it and it can change. There can be joy in our life and peace and contentment. Not lack of, content, uh, of conflict, mind you. I'm not, he never promised that. <laughs> he actually promised we'd still have the conflict. We will exist in the midst of our enemies, and they will remain for the time being until the last day. But we can find a sense of peace and contentment. We just have to tap into what he's already done for us by redeeming the time. So... Here I'm coming to the conclusion, and I'm faced with a question as to whether or not I should give a list of examples, um, which is a bit of a conundrum for a preacher because, so, I mean, Paul did it. He gave those lists all over the place and, uh, in the New Testament. We so often don't take the list seriously. You know, we gloss over them like a stone skipping across the, the lake when we read those lists. I mean, to really be effective, we probably have to take time and go over every single word and spend an hour on each one to let it sink in. But 
The danger in not giving you the list is that you may go away having no idea what I'm referring to. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to give you a list, just as a random list that just popped into my head this morning in no particular order. Uh, but I think if we got started with this stuff, we'd be making a pretty good beginning. <clears throat> oh, some of the things I'm going to mention are absolute, meaning there's no wiggle room. And other things, obviously there's context and needs wisdom in the application. But I'm serious about all of them. More serious than some of you might like for me to be. Um, and all of these things are out of my own experience as well, and I've violated all of this, and I have also grown in all of it, and I have seen the difference. Stop ingesting popular culture, especially with no nutritional value. Just stop it, like, just turn it off. Now, let me give a qualifier. If there's a song or a show that is relatively benign that you want to take in for mere entertainment, then fine, just limit your intake to very, very seldom. Does that make sense? Otherwise, just turn it all off. Uh, most of us should probably turn the news off or severely limit it. I say most of us. That you're not sure, you want to talk about it, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Go to bed early and get up in the morning at a regular time. Be heartfelt, rigorously religious. I mean, everybody's telling people that we don't believe in religion anymore, not me. I want you to be as religious as you possibly can be. Rigorously religious about your mass attendance, your daily prayer rule, going to confession, doing good works, giving, and your connection with the local liturgical community. Be present. As you might guess, that one's like way, way, way near the top of the list of these things. Next one, and I'm serious about this too. Stop complaining. Just stop complaining. Stop griping. If you have a concern, something that needs to be addressed, think through how to do it constructively and to the right person. Otherwise, stop complaining, stop griping, stop having strong opinions. Unless it's really good opinion. Stop being so opinionated. And stop holding your opinion so tightly. And stop judging other people. Wouldn't that be amazing if we lived like that? Now, actually, I think we, around here, because we have a lot of peace and harmony around here, thank God. But one of the reasons we have a lot of peace and harmony around now, I don't know what y'all say behind my back. <laughs> I really don't. So I don't know how much griping and complaining goes on. Um, but I, I assume not a huge amount because I don't think we would have the level of harmony that we do. But as the church grows, I get a little more concerned about this and I have a little less control over it or I can't, I'm not as aware of it. And I need your help. Like, you, we, this is not my job. This is your job. We're all in this together. So we all have to agree to this for this to work. 
So we all gripe and complain. I gripe and complain. So what we need to do is if people are griping and complaining, just say, you know, brother, I'm sorry. I know this is hard on you or I know you're struggling with this, but let's just not do this, okay? If you need to go talk to Father Patrick or somebody else about this in a constructive way, but let's, you know. And actually people do that. You're like, do people really do that? Yes. People around here do. I know people that do that. That's a great thing to do. Uh, Fear God. (laughs) Seek justice. Hate worldliness. And pursue righteousness. Of course, those are all always true. Read some poetry. Take a walk. Eat healthy. I told you simple stuff. Do you realize how many people suffer from sort of your garden variety depression? I'm not talking about the kind of stuff you need medication for or put you in the hospital. I'm talking about a lot of people have depression. Eating well and taking a walk can, can seriously, uh, I know this from personal experience and I know it from many, many studies and I can't tell you how many priests have dealt with this. Taking a regular walk and eating well can deal with 50, 60, 70% of some people's depression. And you tell them that, and they go pay a shrink, you know, $350 an hour to try and fix them, and they won't take a walk. What are you going to do? I can't help you. There's nothing I can do for you until you start taking your walk. So really, some things in our life can change, at least give us a real leg up if we take real action. In small things, turning the radio off, all that stuff, you're listening into popular music, all the, you know, the, the breakups and she stole my truck and my trailer and, you know, stepped on my dog and that was the bad stuff when I was a teenager. I don't even want to know what the bad stuff is now. That gunk, young people, that you're taking in, it will mess you up. And it will mess up your relationships. You will begin to project the stuff that you're hearing on the radio onto your spouse, onto your children, onto me, onto the people around you. You will do it subconsciously. You do not understand how sly the devil is. You will project all that crap onto everybody around you. You do the same with the evening news unless you're really, really disciplined and wise. So these things make a difference. They make a big difference. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.